0: Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. Many, uh, many years ago, we were fairly new in the role of, of being a being a pastor of a church, and it was a pretty discouraging season that we were in. And I made, a, I made a rookie mistake. Uh, I went to a website that, um, well, pastors know all too well when things get discouraging. It's a, it's a little corner of Southern Baptist life where they post job openings. So I went to the Southern Baptist Convention's job posting board and was trying to just see if there was anything out there that, that you know, was, was maybe not quite as discouraging as the, uh, as the situation that, that I was in. And I, I approached the, the job board, and, and I, I said, I prayed, but I really wasn't talking to the Lord. You ever done that where, you're, where you, you, you may address the Lord, but really you're not interested in talking to him because you know what he's going to say, and so you kind of just baptize your wants? And so, uh, so I prayed to myself, really, is what I was doing. I said, Self, where would you like to go? And First Baptist Honolulu was not hiring, uh, so I decided that that man it'd be great to go west somewhere. You know, not like Alabama, but like west, west, like where they have mountains taller than uh, what we have here. And you know, we had been to Colorado back in uh, back when we were for our honeymoon, and just really fell in love with the Rockies and, and that whole area. And uh, and there was a there was a Southern Baptist church looking for a pastor in a little town called Buffalo, Wyoming. Now, if you've never heard of Buffalo, that's okay. You're in good company. I had never heard of Buffalo. Its, it's claim to fame is that it was exactly halfway between Mount Rushmore and Yellowstone, and it was like a hundred hours either direction to get. So, I mean, to say it's halfway is, is not really exciting. Um, and so we, uh, you know, I sent the resume in. I thought, man, I, you know, let's see what happens. And as I'll have to say luck, because uh, the Lord wasn't in this. Uh, at, at no point in time do I want to give the Lord any credit for what, what happened here. Uh, the, the phone interview happened. I talked to him on the telephone, and this was back before you had Skype and FaceTime and everything, so there was no, there was no way to actually have a video conversation or anything, and so it was, a, it was an old-fashioned conference call on speakerphone. And we talked, and we had a good meeting, and, and uh, a couple days later, I, I heard from the search committee. They wanted to meet us. In person. I said oh wow you know that's that's not like driving across town I mean this is a this is a this is a process. And so we uh, flights were booked. We flew from Atlanta to Salt Lake City on a real airplane and then we flew from Salt Lake City to Gillette Wyoming on something less than a real airplane. It reminded me of the one of the airplanes that like Indiana Jones jumped out of on a raft. Um, it had propellers. I'd never flown in an airplane that had propellers, much less a commercial airplane that had propellers. I thought that was interesting. And the wind made it particularly interesting as well because the plane, to compensate for the wind, actually had to land sideways, which, uh, which also was fascinating. So we landed in Gillette, Wyoming with, I had nail scars in my leg, where my wife proceeded to, uh, to dig her nails into my leg as we were uh, on this, this uh, surreal type of landing. And I was convinced that we took a wrong turn somewhere over northern Utah because we landed on the moon. Uh, there was nothing there. There was no grass, no trees. It was just rocks. I mean, Neil Armstrong was there to greet us. It was, a, it, was a, it was rocky hills as far as the eye could see and a pile of snow that was as tall as this building sitting next to the runway. We got off the plane and we looked at one another and we said this time we prayed dear lord what have we done the roller coaster however was already in motion and if you've ever ridden a roller coaster you know that once you get on and the chain turns you loose you really don't have a choice but to ride the thing to completion And so the roller coaster had set in motion, the chain had turned us loose, we were going down the track, and we had no other option except to wait until the thing came to a complete stop. Our hosts were there to greet us, they drove us on the 70-mile trip from the airport to the bustling town of Buffalo across the moon, they were in an SUV, thankfully not a lunar rover, they dropped us off at our hotel so that we could have a couple hours to kind of rest and recuperate after a long day of travel. As we were approaching the town, there were actually two hotels across the street from one another. There was a nice, new, shiny Holiday Inn Express, green and gold neon lights. I mean, it looked like, a, looked like a, a beautiful place considering the alternative. And across the street from the nice, new, shiny Holiday Inn Express, well, there was another place. It was a not-so-nice, not-so-new alternative. I don't think it qualified as a Motel 6. I think it only made it to Motel 3. You can probably guess which way this story is going. Our host did not turn into the freshly paved parking lot of the nice new hotel there in Buffalo, Wyoming. Nope, instead they pulled into the Motel 3 across the street. Now, the guy was kind of funny, so I thought he's just jerking our chain to kind of see what reaction we would get. And he turned around, he smiled, he he said, well, welcome to your home away from home while you're here and i asked him what the hourly rate of said hotel was <laughs> y'all it was bad we we sat in that hotel room feeling like that this was a good place to go if you needed to hide from somebody trying to kill you <laughs> or find somebody trying to kill you either one and we were trapped Because in the big city of Buffalo, there was no taxis, there was no public transportation. Uber had not yet been conceived. And so we were stuck there in this little cinder block hotel room with um, with who knows how many guests under the mattress there uh, with us. Needless to say, the Lord didn't call us to Buffalo, Wyoming. And for that, we are grateful. However, thinking about those two polar opposite hotels— gives us a pretty clear picture of what the book of Proverbs is trying to teach us in chapter 9. There's two lodging choices that are put on display for us there. One is a palatial residence with a feast prepared, and one is where, well, where the continental breakfast is stolen and the quietest guests are the dead ones. Don't worry, that'll make sense here in just a couple moments. Now the choice for any of us would be a no-brainer, Do you choose the palatial nice space with a feast prepared or do you choose the sketchy place across the road? Even though the choice seems like a no-brainer, for some reason we constantly struggle between the two. If you've got your Bibles open, let's turn to the book of Proverbs, the ninth chapter. I'll be skipping around just a little bit in the ninth chapter. I'd invite you to stand as I read these words from Proverbs chapter nine beginning in verse one. Wisdom has built her house, and she has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat, eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Skip down to verse 13. The woman of folly, she's loud, she's seductive, and she knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that their guests are in the depths of Sheol. Father, I want to thank you for the wisdom of Solomon pinning these words and giving us insight into how we should walk, not as, wise, not as unwise, but as wise. May we be faithful as we seek to follow you, and faithful and diligent to avoid the pathway of folly. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank You, you can be seated. You know, we are a complicated bunch of folks, aren't we? We're not, uh, we're not simple in, in, a, in this sense. When confronted with these two choices, it it doesn't, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out which choice is the right one. I, I mean, if all we had were the names of the concierge, you have Miss Wisdom or Madam Folly. Which which place would you like to stay? Miss Wisdom or, or Madam Folly? Uh, again, it doesn't take a take an engineer to understand where the right choice is. Our choice should be quite simple, yet if we are honest, we know that we all struggle constantly with making the right choice consistently. The problem we have is is that we're broken beneath our ability to choose. The truth of the matter is, is that we were born with a bent toward folly. Psalm 51, verse 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. In my sin did my mother conceive me. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12 say, As it is written, none is righteous. None, no one. None of us are righteous. None of us pass the test. No one understands. No one seeks for God, Paul said in Romans. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even One. So if the door to Folly's house is open, our default is to want to just take a peek on the inside. It's like a NASCAR wreck. You only watch the race to see the accident that takes place. We just want to, we just want to explore our curiosity. We just want to understand what's taking place in there. And keep in mind, Proverbs has told us that across the street, across the street, there is a feast that has been prepared. Yet in our flesh, for some reason, we so very much enjoy the offerings of Madam Folly. We are so complicated. And even still, you take that natural bent towards folly that we all have, that natural bent towards sin that we all possess, and then you add a lifetime of, of complications and baggage, Right? You've, you've lived a while, you've accumulated some things, some experiences, some actions, some, some, some things along the way that, that just kind of help define who you are and, and, and sort of shape the way you think about the world. We, we carry with us all our sins, all our pains, all our self-inflicted emotional and spiritual wounds. All those things kind of go into a big backpack that we, we tend to want to carry around with us. I think if we're honest, if we all just look at our lives apart from Jesus Man, we are a complicated mess. Try to unravel your life apart from Jesus. And man, it is, it is just a mess after mess after mess. It's, it's no wonder that we stand in the road between these two houses and we find ourselves pulled in two different directions. We find ourselves looking at, at the house of wisdom and saying, Man, look at the feast. Look at what has been prepared for us. Look at, look at what is there. And we look over at folly and we say, Well, there's a party going on over there that sounds good over there. We find ourselves in that position all the time. You now, the apostle Paul struggled with this, so if you think you're alone, don't worry, Paul dealt with this as well, and he painted this struggle very clearly in Romans chapter 7 verses 18 through 25. Paul, the apostle, the one God chose to to be the apostle to the Gentiles, the one who wrote the majority of our New Testament, he said this about himself. In Romans chapter 7, verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I stand in the middle of the road and I look at the house of wisdom. I say, man, I want to go there. I want to go there, but, but just look over here at folly. He goes on, he says, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This is a hopeless situation. You know what you're supposed to do, yet for some reason you keep being drawn to what you're not supposed to do. It's universal. We all have that experience in some capacity, and it's all different types of sin issues. It's all sorts of different things that that catch our eye, but we all wrestle with this and we come to this conclusion what are we going to do? Paul, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he comes to this conclusion. Romans chapter 7 verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I, ser- I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Paul says the only hope we've got is Jesus. Church, the only hope you've got is Jesus. The only solution to this problem within us is Jesus. Yet in this complicated state in which we find ourselves, it's in this complicated state that the Lord comes to us and he offers to rescue us. It's remarkable to think that we are referred to as as sons and and we'll be woke this morning and and understand that when he calls us a son, he's also talking to daughters. But in the first eight chapters of the book of Proverbs, the reader is referred to as sons for 22 times. Meaning that God looks at us and he says, you're part of the family. I've brought you in. You are are my children, God says. We may find that we are paralyzed by the choice between wisdom and folly. We may find ourselves ashamed that we haven't made the correct choice more times than we can count. But it is into this terrible condition that the Lord comes to us and offers us this incredible alternative through the gospel. And when we receive the gift of the gospel, we are changed. Now, Again, you know, it doesn't mean that we always choose wisdom. It doesn't mean that our, our, our eyes are constantly drawn towards the household of wisdom. But at least the stench of folly becomes far less appetizing. Consider the powerful words of William Romaine. He was an Anglican preacher from the 18th century. He said this, he said, Consider your state. You are a pardoned sinner, not under the law, but under grace, freely, fully saved from the guilt of all your sins. There is none to condemn God, having justified you. He sees you in his Son, washed in his blood, clothed you in his righteousness, and he embraces him and you, the head and the members, all with the same affection. You are not who you were. If you are in Christ, you are not the person that you were before you came to Christ. Don't let anyone try to convince you otherwise. And even when the invitation of folly seems to be more compelling than you know how to resist, remember who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's take a moment to just peek inside these homes that are displayed for us here in Proverbs chapter 9. The first thing we need to understand is that, is that the home of wisdom It provides everything that we need in full. Just walk through the images and the languages of these verses contained there in chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. It says that there are seven pillars at the home of wisdom. Now again, this is a picture of architecture. This is is showing you a home that's got, got seven pillars on the front. What this is is a picture of perfect strength. When you compare wisdom's home to folly's home, folly has no pillars, nothing to support it, nothing strong to hold it up. It's just waiting for a strong gust of wind to blow to see it all come crashing down. It's got pillars, this symbol of strength. We're told that there's a table that's been set for a feast, and you're not walking away. You're not walking away empty on the inside. You ever been to a fancy restaurant where you paid more than you should have for what you got, and then the food that was put on the plate? You look at that and say, "Is that it? Is that it?" I remember when we were first in ministry, and uh, uh, my wife went to uh, went with the, the ladies ministry to uh, to Ruth Chris Steakhouse. Now we had just been in college, and and when you first get out of college and you're in ministry, dollars. Dollars are hard to come by, and this, uh, this women's ministry was doing something, and, and I guess they had, they were, had some high rollers in, in, the, in, the, in the group there, and she called me, and she was mortified when she saw the menu, and she said, she said, you have to order it all a la carte. I said, well, what does that mean? She said, you got to pay for everything separate, and I said, oh, that's no big deal. She said, a baked potato was $17. Does it come with butter? (laughs) I don't know about you, but a $17 baked potato it had better eat itself, like it had better grow buttered and salted and peppered and all the good stuff, like chives and bacon need to grow on the inside of this thing. You cut it open and it's just there ready to go. And it better be the size of a football. You may have been to restaurants where you walk away thinking, man, that, that was kind of shallow, you know, that, the, the portions weren't very great. What this is saying here is that in the house of wisdom, the table's set for a feast, and you're not walking away from this feast empty. In the house of wisdom, you're not snacking on cheese puffs or Pop-Tarts either. This, this conveys here that there is a sense of being satisfied and filled. The, the beasts have been slaughtered. This is, there is meat on the table. There is bread. It is a feast that is fit for a king. And it's not talking about wealth and prosperity. It's talking about the ability of wisdom to meet your most basic needs and to leave you full. It says the wine is mixed. Clearly the house of wisdom is not a Baptist house. What does this mean? Well, it means the wine's not watered. It's, it's not that it's watered down. It's not that she took water and wine and mixed them together. It means that they added spices to it. And so they took the wine and made it even better by what they, what they did. There's also a sense of community. You know, you don't, uh, you don't prepare a feast for just one person, do you? You know, you don't, I know if I'm alone and, and I've got to fix something to eat, you know, I, I don't go through the trouble of preparing a, a, a four-course meal for, for me, myself, and I. You know, if I get multiple courses, it's because the TV dinner had a dessert tray in it. You know, I mean, you know, you don't prepare a feast for, for one person. If, if you've got a bunch of people coming over to the house, then you get a feast together. You know, there's going to be food on the table. There's going to be plenty to eat. You don't slaughter the beasts, notice it's plural, for one person. This is a, a, a feast meant for, for a big community like the old song. It's a big, big table with lots and lots of food and room for lots and lots of guests. Because at the house of wisdom, there is a sense of, of community. And we hear all these metaphors, and I don't know about you, but the words of Jesus are, are, are deafening in my ear. As I hear these metaphors about what this is like in the house of wisdom, this, this place that, that has a sense of being in the kingdom, Jesus has come to give us this life that's abundance. You drink of the living water and you'll never grow thirsty again. You look at all of Jesus' parables about the wedding feasts and the banquets that have been prepared to usher in the kingdom of God. And so the house of wisdom says this is where the kingdom is. This is where if you want to be part of the kingdom of God, you will find it there spread on a table ready for you to consume, ready for you to partake, ready for you to be full. Never empty. And don't forget that it's an open invitation. We've encountered this theme before in the book of Proverbs. Wisdom doesn't dine in secret. Everybody is invited who would like to attend. No exclusions at the door. But you can't stand in the street. You can't stand in the street and smell the feast of wisdom's table and find yourself salivating at the Pop Tarts at the house of folly you got to make a choice. You cannot remain simple, as the proverb here is instructing us. Remember, is a plea to the simple. He says, leave your simple ways and live. Walk in the way of insight. You see, that word for simple, that's a code word for proverbs, for the un and the under committed. So there's an invitation that's extended to you. If you're on the fence, man, take a look at wisdom's table. You won't regret it. But let's look across the street for a moment. Don't miss the fact that folly has her own invitation. And just in the sense that the house of wisdom will always leave you full, the house of folly will always leave you empty. Compare the two pictures that we have here. One is a picture of class and sophistication. One is a palatial home that's been beautifully crafted. And and there's nobody sitting here shouting at you when you walk by. Nobody's out there yelling at you, Hey, come on in, see what we got. No, it's, it's much classier than that. Lady Wisdom, we're told here, she sends out her emissaries so that all can hear. You think, who are these emissaries? These are the apostles and the prophets, all those who've been de- declaring that the kingdom of God is here. Today, these, these emissaries are the preachers and the Sunday school teachers and all those who would take up the word of God and say, listen, this is what God has said. And so she has sent out her emissaries, and they are calling out for all who can hear. There is a banquet that has been spread with the finest offerings, and there is a simple invitation, leave behind your simple ways and live. Walk in the way of insight. The other side's a different picture. The first thing we hear about Madam Folly is that she's loud, she's she's seductive, she's ignorant, she's lazy, she's lonely. How do we know she's lazy? Did you pick up on what the proverb says here? And look at, uh, look starting there in verse 13. The woman folly is loud, she is seductive, she knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She sits, uh, it keeps going, she takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by. Everywhere she goes, she sits. Everywhere she goes, she's she's got to find a where to, to sit. How do we know she's alone? Because there's no feast in Folly's home. The only thing we get in the home of Folly is stolen water and bread eaten in secret. There is no feast. Everything that happens in the house of Folly happens in the darkness. It happens in the shadows. It happens alone. The problem is, is that in our flesh, some of these offerings actually do sound inviting. say pastor that place sounds terrible yeah and here it does but what about in those moments of darkness you ever noticed that when you get into your sin like really into your sin the first thing you want to do is get away from other people you've seen that work out in your own life you've seen it work out in other people's lives you don't really want to sit at the banquet table with everybody else when you're really all up into your sin do you you don't want to look other people in the eye. You don't want to confront other people. You don't want to hear what they have to say. You definitely don't want them to ask you, hey, how's it going? The first thing you want to do when you get up into your sin is you want to get away from everybody else. Have you ever noticed that when somebody gets tangled up in their sin, the first thing they do is stop coming to church? We see it all the time. Or how about the fact that when you find yourself straying, the last thing you want is for people to tell you the truth. Laziness, sensuousness, well, those are some of our most basic human instincts, things that capture our attention, things that captivate us. Well, when you paint the picture like this, it's hard to imagine wanting to forsake the palace of wisdom for the slum of folly. Every day, we struggle in that choice. Because if we're honest, we do have a little bit of taste for folly and her offerings. We do have a little bit of a desire to have what it is that she has to offer us. We do tend to get hung up on self and selfish desires. That tends to catch our eye. St. Augustine, after reflecting on his own sinful passions, he's an early church father. We owe much of our understanding of the Bible to St. Augustine. He said this about himself. He said, such was my heart, O God. Such was my heart. You had pity on it when I was at the bottom of the abyss. So, how do you get out of a hole that has no bottom? How do we crave the feast of wisdom when we find ourselves constantly drawn to the junk food of folly? Well, we would do well to be reminded of that gospel call, which is echoed clearly by the call of wisdom. When wisdom calls, she calls us to life. Remember what she said? She said back there in in verse 6, Leave your simple ways and do what? Live. Wisdom calls us to life. Wisdom calls us to, to, to new life, if we understand the gospel correctly. But what does folly do? Folly says... That the dead are there, that their guests are are there in Sheol, the place of the dead. Folly calls, and it only leads to death. She sits at the door, and she calls on you to make a visit. But man, that hotel, (laughs) her rooms are filled with nothing but death. Here's the good news. Jesus loves you just like you are. He loves the real you, and he loves you too much to let you stay that way. He loves you in spite of your bent towards folly. He loves you in spite of all of your mistakes and all of your flaws. He loves the real you that's there at the bottom of the abyss. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, The gate of mercy is opened, and over the door it is written, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Between that word save and the next word sinners, there is no adjective. It does not say penitent sinners. It does not say awakened sinners. It does not say sensible sinners. It does not say grieving sinners. It does not say alarmed sinners. It only says sinners. And know this, that when I come, I come to Christ today, I dare not come as a conscious sinner or as an awakened sinner, but I have to come still as a sinner with nothing in my hands. The only hope for people who were torn between two homes, the house of wisdom and the house of folly, is the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. In between these two invitations is a a brief warning an important word that we would be wise to pay attention to. And we're reminded here by the wisdom of Solomon that the most dangerous person in Proverbs is the scoffer. The most dangerous person in the book of Proverbs is the scoffer. The scoffer is that kid that was on top of the other one in Foster's kid's time. Who is the scoffer? The scoffer is the person whose heart is hard. They have chosen their path, and there is very little that can change their mind. Do you know anybody like that? You pray for them, you worry for them, you you hurt for their heart, but you know that they've chosen a pathway in life that is really, really hard to get off of. The simple in Proverbs are the uncommitted or the undercommitted, but the scoffer is the one who has fully embraced folly and wants nothing to do with the wisdom of God because they think they're wise in their own eyes. In a very real and tragic sense, the scoffer is too far gone. Now, I'm not saying that God can't save the scoffer, but I am saying that the scoffer generally has no desire in being saved. And the further down the pathway of foolishness that he walks, the less likely it is that he will turn and find Jesus. It's just like Pharaoh in the days of Moses there came a point where Pharaoh's heart was so hard, there was no turning back. The heart was just too hard. Becoming a scoffer is simply the result of following a choice to its logical end. If you choose the pathway of wisdom that's laid out here, that's, that's demonstrated to us through the gospel, the logical ending of that pathway is life. You follow the gospel and you will live and you will live forever and nothing can change that. You may may die in this life, but you will live forever and ever in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a gift. It is an offer. It is an amazing thing that has been extended to us. But if you choose to follow the pathway of folly, if you go to that house and you open the door and you step in and you choose to live there and to dwell there, the Bible is clear, it will lead to death. And it is there in that place of death where you will find the scoffer. The one who not only eats his bread in secret, but openly mocks those who would choose the feast across the street. So let me implore you this morning to hear the gospel call once more. Christ died to save you from your sins and to save you from death. He wants to give you life. The voice of wisdom calling out is none other than the voice of Jesus. He has prepared a banquet table before you, and he wants you to partake and find eternal life. He wants you to stop standing in the street, listening to the seductive voice of folly calling your name, and he wants you to hear the voice of Jesus, who is the only one who can rescue you from your sins, who can save you from the pit. It is the voice of Jesus crying out today asking you to choose wisely. Would you pray with me please? God, the choice is very clear. The table is set and the path is obvious. I pray, Father, that you would Help us to walk in wisdom, to follow Jesus. God, I pray that if there are those in the room today whose lives are a little too infatuated with the offering of foolishness, that today they would turn from that and that they would look across the street and they would see the offering that is set before them with a simple invitation to turn from their ways and to follow Jesus. I pray, God, if there's any in our lives, any in our families, indeed any who may even be here today, who are walking the pathway of foolishness that leads to being a scoffer, that they would turn and see the error of their way and turn and find Jesus. God, I want to thank you for the clear distinction and the clear picture that is painted for us in your word. Move now in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.